Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Gil Denny, who is a very old friend of mine. She's an architect, she's a writer, she's a mother. Um, and we had a lovely chat in this cafe that I'm currently sitting in. I normally go home to record my intro, but I wanted to get this one out. Um, we had a lovely conversation about privacy, about space and place, about architecture, about creative limitations and uh, about teaching. So I hope you enjoy listening to it. I, I always love talking to Gil and I'm really glad that I get to share a little bit of her in the midst of her very busy day uh, because she is a person who is 100% worth knowing. I want to say thank you so much to everyone who's contributed on Patreon. There's been a massive jump this month uh, in contributors, subscribers, um, and it is genuinely uh, thrilling and life-changing. I can't say thank you enough to everybody who's contributed, um, particularly uh, to the people who've done the $5 a month pledges, including uh, Brendan, Vera, Dan, Mac, uh, JKI, whoever that is, Angela, Adam and uh, Tom. That is a really wonderful thing. If you would like to be mentioned or not mentioned on the podcast, just message me on the Patreon platform, email me on alicerfraser at gmail.com. Uh, or tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. Or if you just want to chat, uh, if you just want to say something, feel free to hit me up at any time. I try to respond to all of your messages. In fact, I think I do. Um, and if I haven't, please let me know, because it is important to me to try to do that. Um, if you do not subscribe to the Patreon, you are also incredibly valuable to me. Um, and I, I appreciate you listening. Uh, please share it with your friends. Tell people who you think would like it. Uh, tweet about it or leave a review on iTunes if it's a good review. Um, that is also very, uh, very much appreciated and it helps me a lot. It really does. Just listening helps me a lot. Um, so I will stop rambling. If you're in London, I'm doing gigs on the 9th and the 10th and I'm doing the live bugle on the 22nd of February at Leicester Square Theatre and there'll be other gigs that come up. I think I'm doing Old Rope on Monday nights um, at the Phoenix in King's Cross, in Oxford Circus, sorry. So all of those things. Uh, the best place to follow me for those things, I tend to update on Twitter. That's at Alliterative. Um, if you don't have Twitter, maybe I should put together a mailing list. Let me know if you think I should put together a mailing list uh, for that kind of thing. I'd, I'd, I don't know if there's any demand for it, which is the only reason why I haven't, or if I should put it up on Patreon or some other some other place that would be more convenient to you than Twitter. Twitter is convenient for me, but I also want to be convenient for you. That's enough of my rambling. Uh, I will let you listen to the podcast. This is with Gillian Denny. You're having tea with Alice. The rule is, if you say anything that you want me to take away, I'll cut it. Okay. I, I so can't. we just say whatever you want to say, and then okay. at the end, if you regret so how anything... how long are these things? I mean, I've listened... So usually when I are. listen to your podcast, they're, um, I listen to them in, like, short sections in between screaming children, <laughs> so I never actually have a conscious idea of how long they are, because it might take me three days to listen to one. They are as long as they are long. Anything okay. between half an hour and an hour and a half okay. tends to be... Fair so enough. wherever you feel comfortable with. So uh, first, who are you and what are you drinking? Oh, who am I? Uh, I am Gillian Denny and I am drinking a mocha and very happy because there's caffeine in it. <laughs> and more importantly, who am I? I uh, used to live with Allie. So Allie and I used to live together when we were in grad school here at Cambridge, which is where we're sitting right now. So that's very exciting too. Yes, we're in the beautiful Jesus College, which I've got to say um, is more beautiful than our college. Although our college has its own. It had its own charm. It was smaller. It was smaller. Um, 
but yeah, no, they, they both have their own charm. All the colleges have their own charm. I knew nothing about any of the colleges before I applied. All I knew was don't go to Girton because it's a... Forever away. It's far away yeah. and don't go somewhere damp. Those were the only pieces of advice. So literally when I was applying, I Googled colleges closest to the centre of town and Sydney came up first. Sydney Sussex College okay. came up first and so I applied for that first. Okay. Well, which is not traditionally what you do. You traditionally sort of apply to oh, yeah. no, the no, no, fancier well, ones. I told, did I ever tell you why I applied to there? No. Okay, so I knew nothing. Again, I knew about the university but I knew nothing about the individual colleges whatsoever um, except I knew you know King's had this massive chapel and uh, don't even apply to John's because you'll never get in because um, everyone applies to John's. <laughs> See, that's more than I knew. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Um, so I applied to Sydney Sussex because I kid you not, uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, in the Sherlock Holmes stories he makes one reference to having attended Cambridge and he said that he was at Sydney Sussex and I remember that so I was like I was, it stuck in my head and so I looked at the map and I was like oh it's in the middle well that's perfect um, <laughs> it's across from the grocery store perfect uh, so yeah so I applied there and I kid you not I ran into somebody later the first week that I arrived who didn't realize that Sherlock Holmes was a fictional character and thought that he was real Wow. Yeah, it was really distressing. I'm really hoping they weren't going to school here. You're like, oh, God, this is the center of learning in the world. I mean, that's amazing. Um, yeah. So what have you been wrestling with recently? What have you been thinking about? Wrestling? Um, well, short version for anyone who doesn't know me personally is I've been a mom of two toddlers for going on three years now. So that's been a whole new experience. Um, but wrestling with recently is actually being here just for a couple of days back in Cambridge, which I knew really, really well. Um, I've actually been thinking about this idea of place and what it means to be in a place and when is it your place? Because, you know, these, these are spaces, these are doors we used to be able to go through and, you know, they were, they were experiences we had. And so you know, as an architect, I love the buildings here and I know them really, really well. And so walking through, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this beautiful space and that gives me a sense of place. But I was realizing that I kept going from meeting one person I know to meeting another person I know to meeting another person I know and having a coffee or just having a quick chat. And I realized if I hadn't had all those people to connect with when I came back, it wouldn't have mattered how beautiful the architecture was. I realized I would have been, instead of being incredibly happy to be back, I would have actually just been incredibly sad because I think all I would have seen were would be just beautiful facades with doors that were closed to me. Yeah. And instead, you know, you randomly just happened to be here at the same time, which was magical. Yes. Um, but there were people that I, I knew I was going to actually meet up with when I was coming and that it made me eager to be here and I show up and I, I felt like I was home for a little bit and I realized that place is the people. Yeah, which is one of the tragedies of um, traveling or being international. I mean, it's one, of the, it's one of the best things you can do is to go somewhere else and be out of, out of your kind of familiar yeah. place. But then you make friends. That's true. And there's just this brutal reality that you and I will never be in the same place as all of our friends ever again. This is very true. Just from the moment you leave one set of friends and make another. Yeah. Unless you become a bajillionaire. Like, this is my yeah, fantasy. Even, even is to, you're never going to have everybody in the same place all the time because everyone has their own lives to live and everyone's living them literally everywhere around the world. So you're never going to have them all in the same place. Or it's your wedding and you do and you don't get to say a word to them because it's your wedding, yeah. which did happen. Thanks is for it, coming, by the way. It was my <laughs> absolute pleasure. Uh, you were you were very friendly given that you were sewing your own wedding dress until like five o'clock in the morning it of the day. Sleep deprivation and a lot of champagne. It was wonderful. <laughs> It was, it was a very nice wedding. Um, well done, you. Yeah. 
was good times. But uh, no, yeah, it's it's nice to be back here. It's wonderful. But you know what? At the same point, I've been here for a couple of days now, and it was the right amount of time to come and feel like I was here. And when I leave in a couple of hours, I'm going to be okay with that, and I'll come back. Yes, okay. it is. A, it is a strange thing. This is a, a kind of a shell of learning. This this place, yeah. like people move through it. And while you're there, you feel such ownership and possession of it. Yeah. And you see, like, you, the way you look at tourists is completely different. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and, then, and then you leave and it's not yours anymore. It belongs to somebody else. And there yeah. is a strange... And they hand you a card that says, you know, you're a member of the university permanently and, you know, you're always welcome back and that sort of thing. But you still, you still feel like a bit of an imposter when you show up and you're, you're not quite sure whether you can go through the doors into the colleges or not without someone asking, you know... Do you belong here? I was like, well, I did. It's an interesting question. Well, I just, I just had this question up at uh, the bar when I was ordering our drinks. It's like, are you a member of the college? It's like, well, I was, and they gave me a card that says I still am, but I'm not sure. I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I am. And I know she just wanted to know because she wanted to know whether she should be charging me the in college rate or the out of college rate. But but she caused an existential <laughs> crisis. <laughs> but only because this has been turning around in my head for the last three days. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. It. It's a very strange thing to come here again. Yeah. Have you ever gone back to your grade school or primary school, whatever you call it? I had my, the primary school I went to was um, a, sort of an experimental languages one, and it okay. was in an old Revlon factory. Uh, I, I wasn't so the a child laborer. Primary school experience. So it it became more and more successful while I was there, and oh, then did it you moved say Revlon, to like Revlon, makeup? yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, in Surrey Hills, so my experience, like, of primary school was, like, the, I didn't, you don't realise things are strange until you leave them and come back later, but the, the, like, preschooly area, the kids' playground area yeah. was in this courtyard, and there were bars, there was, like, a barred gate to the outside, but then when you went to the park, it was, like, the Surrey Hills Park on in Riley Street, so it was, like, your familiar kind of friendly neighborhood faces were like the junkies and the guy who would flash you in the bushes like the bushes were out of bounds because there was a guy in there who would flash you right um and you know our our primary school year one teacher had a boyfriend who was you know how teachers have quote-unquote boyfriends who are just whatever men seem to visit most of my teachers were nuns so Well, there were just two police officers who were our okay. teacher's boyfriend who would drop by and just see how things were going. Oh, okay. Uh, now, was he really a boyfriend or was he no, popping no. around to see if any they of the just, locals were coming? Yeah, basically, uh, in that one of them, there was like a chase at one point because he... We call, we call that gym class. Constable Rod happened to be cycling past when there was some sort of drama. Oh, gosh. And uh, he, he made, you know, there was like a proper chase and he tackled this dude and... Okay, seriously, the only exciting thing that ever happened in our grade school was they were retarring the roof and something caught fire. And so all the fire bells started ringing. And I just remember um, our principal running down the hallways because, of course, in all the fire drills, everything's nice and calm, right? Everyone has to stay calm and orderly and follow the lines to your doors That's and everything. the point of the fire drill. Yeah, no, as soon as that fire... I have never seen her run that quickly. <laughs> She's booking down the hallway, screaming for everybody to get out of the building. It was chaos. <laughs> We all got out. The, burn, the building did not burn down. It was fine. But uh, that math test was cancelled. Oh, good. Yeah. Did you have to retake it or was it... I honestly don't recall. I do recall, though, when the bell rang, I remember my pencil flying out of my hand and, like, 
just flying across the room and it, it was if it had been in a movie it would have like stuck into the wall and like boing yeah it didn't it but didn't but in my in my memory of it i i picture it doing that well the point being that now the school i went to at in primary school is now in like a legitimate school oh so oh, no, they, they moved the they school, moved the okay, school. Okay. it became uh relatively successful and it okay. moved the school and uh now is so it a there new is makeup no factory kind of, or no no, no okay. it's a different place but there's no going back is the point oh, okay is that I, I did go so i was the oldest of five kids so i was still showing up to my primary school for various things when my youngest sibling was you know going through eighth grade so it would have been a significant amount of time later um but i remember going back uh after being years of not being there and everything was so small tiny tiny i mean you're you're i did not grow i'm I'm a fairly tall person but i didn't grow that much since i was in eighth grade so i was a very very tall eighth grader so it just it shouldn't have seemed that strange to me going back because spatially I myself hadn't really changed but yeah everything just seemed so claustrophobic the desks seemed extra tiny and the hallways seemed extra small and I couldn't imagine how many that many kids could fit into one little building yes and that doesn't happen with a place like this no no if anything you feel like you shrink when you leave it oh that's true yeah because there's something about I I guess the air of infinite possibility which I guess you know, if you want to put it in brutal terms, is the air of privilege yeah, that you no, can, you know, you come through here and you think you can achieve anything and then you kind of leave you and, get realize, and you realize you can't. <laughs> you realize that somewhat of an illusion or not, not just that you can't achieve anything, that, but that the process of being useful in the world is actually much more difficult than you would think. Yeah. That being functional and helping other people, there's so many petty things in the way that it can seem much more daunting than it does when you're talking to someone over a cup of tea in one of these dreaming great dreams right yeah yeah and then some people obviously just go ahead and do it this is true and then brag about it on facebook (laughs) (laughs) do you have much to do with the online space with your parenting no no i've actually i've put a strict absolutely no photos of kids online um i don't post anything personal on facebook or anything like that i got a little bit political while the last election was happening because i felt like you had to take a stand um but no i don't post anything personal online at all um it's not that i'm phobic of it i just i feel like there's i feel like a lot of the walls between your personal home life and your public life have become either blurred or non-existent and so I've been trying to force some of those walls back in place for at least my own personal life. Which is interesting given that you were talking about space and place. Oh that's true. Like space is necessarily defined by walls and boundaries. Yeah. I get this a lot with my work because uh, and I was thinking of answering this in the next Q&A episode but um, I talk about some stuff on stage that most people don't talk about Mm -hmm. uh, in public and often even in private. Yeah. But there are things that I will not talk about. So I have kind of hard boundaries. And I, I don't talk about my personal life on Facebook. I don't share where I am until a few days after I've been there. I, oh, right. Okay. I tend to, you know, other than I guess you can figure out where I am by what gigs I'm doing. But uh, <laughs> This is true. Actually, if I ever want to know where you are in the world, I always look up where, where is your next performance going to be. Yes. And you'll know to the hour where I will be. I, I kid you not. I have looked up several times just to see, okay, where is she? Okay, time zone. Okay, I'll try sending her a message. <laughs> She'll be just coming out of a gig now. So, uh, but there are these sort of very fixed boundaries that I have. And I feel like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's confusing maybe. I, 
for people because they expect one, all of one or all of the other. Mm. That you're a very open person or that you're a private person. But now I've heard that many people who perform on stage in one capacity or the other are actually extremely private people. Or, or that maybe, maybe they have to be. Yes, possibly. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is. But for me, it's like I'm an open book, but there are some sealed sections. That's fair. That, that part of what gives me the sense of control or safety in talking about difficult subject is, is that I get to define the boundaries of those subjects and I'm in control mm-hmm. like a lot of comedians are just people who were bullied at school saying look I'm going to tell you when to laugh okay <laughs> and how to feel about it. but for me it's sort of yeah how, I'm going to tell you I'm going to give you this glimpse and it's going to be through this picture window and from this angle yeah. and with this um, lighting and mm-hmm. at this time of day, and that's all you get. That's okay. So that's really funny. So I was um, uh, I was trying to explain to my almost three year old yesterday. So I, I historically have teach uh, taught architecture and just just tried to teach adult students about architecture. So we were in Cambridge walking around, and I'm trying to explain architecture to a almost three-year-old and you know this is someone who she sees any gothic window she sees she assumes it's a church so she says oh look there's a church no we're she's like we're living in a church it's like we're not living in a church it's just a gothic window it's like all the buildings around here have gothic windows it's okay no 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 it's a church so we actually went into a church and she heard an organ play for the first time we went to even song she heard the choir sing and then suddenly the next two days she's obsessed with pipe organs so we have to go into every church and see the pipe organs um but she was seeing all the stained glass windows. And I'm trying to explain to her why there are pictures on the windows. And I was trying to explain it's like a storybook because people couldn't necessarily read the story. So it's just like our storybooks. We don't necessarily know what the words say. So we had the pictures and they tell us the stories. And so she was, it was really quite cute. She was looking at every single one of the pictures on the stained glass windows and trying to tell me what the stories were. They were great. We should write them down. They were better than the Bible. <laughs> it's like, and then that man took the rainbow and... <laughs> Like, the yes. Bible according to a three-year-old. Yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's due for an update. Yeah. Well, and then meanwhile, I've got my one-and-a-half-year-old who just at Christmas time, for some reason, fell in love with uh, Mary and baby Jesus in the nativity and would carry them around everywhere. I'd find baby Jesus, like, under a couch somewhere. Um, Portable she, nativity. Right, but she didn't want anything to do with Joseph. She had a figure of Batman. So bat, it was Batman, <laughs> Mary, and baby Jesus, and the three of them would just travel around together. I took them in the car with us down to my parents' house for Christmas, and I felt so bad leaving Joseph, so I brought him along too because I just I felt guilty. But she again wanted nothing to do with Joseph, so it was Batman and Mary and baby Jesus. Um, so she knows who Mary and Jesus are, and so she's been any statue or painting or anything of Mary and baby Jesus are just oh, Mary, baby, Mary, baby. So we went to the Fitzwilliam Museum yesterday where one whole room is nothing but oil paintings from various eras of Mary holding Jesus. And you have never seen a one and a half year old mind just blown because she's just standing there going around in circles, knowing what she's looking at. Like you could tell that she knew exactly. And she's just pointing, baby, baby, Mary. But Mary was only the ones that Mary was wearing blue. Any of the ones where Mary wasn't wearing blue, she was not she didn't identify that as Mary because as far as she's concerned Mary wears blue yes the uniform so if Mary was not wearing blue it wasn't Mary it was just some other lady holding a baby but yeah less important (laughs) yeah but it's been really interesting trying to explain these concepts who that I would normally explain to an adult audience trying to explain them to children do you do you ever change 
how you present any of your comedy? Do you ever change any of it for the audience that you're speaking to? I guess. Y- yes and no. Yes, yes. You probably don't yes. speak to many three-year-olds. Every, well, every performance <laughs> is different because the audience is different. So you're sort of trying to present the illusion that you're giving the same uh, product, mm. but you're doing all these little, often micro adjustments, sometimes macro adjustments, like surfing. So you're, there's a lot of work going on under the under the surface to present what appears to be a uniform. Well, it's fair. If I would give lectures and it looked like um, you know half half the audience, half the class was sort of dropping off, I could assume they were either having a bad night the night before or a really good night the night before, um, or I could maybe tweak what I was saying to be a bit more lively. Yeah, yeah. It's in the delivery and the tone, and sometimes the language. Sometimes you'll pull a joke that isn't going well. Sort of depends if it's a club set or a festival show. In a festival show, I will change the content less though I might change the delivery in a fest in a in a club set that you're there for the audience you're trying to give them what they want a certain number of laughs per minute so you'll move towards the material that will get okay them that experience whereas in a festival show it's about what you're you're going to give them this show and you'll adjust it to try and make them enjoy it but equally they're there to see you and what you have to offer okay they're not there to just get a laugh every 45 seconds I'm picturing like a clock just going off in the back and it starts going red when you haven't told a joke in recent. There is an internal, there is an internal clock that does that. Mm-hmm. And so one of my favourite jokes is what I think of as the riskiest joke I tell and it was in Savage of there's about four minutes without a laugh. Oh, so the so tension land is very, very, very high and the punchline is risky. Yeah. Not like sweary or anything yeah. or rude, but it's risky that, it, that they won't go with you. Oh. And I love that joke because it is... It's not like other jokes. Now, do you have a do you have a backup prepared for that moment when it doesn't fly? No, you have to commit. You have oh. to commit to this. And this is the, this. I think is the thing that I was sort of vaguely pointing towards before about the things that I refuse to talk about. Is that I think all art works better mm. with limitations and boundaries. Oh, absolutely. Not necessarily censorship, but you know. It's one one of the reasons why free verse is so risky and, and sonnets and haikus are interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, the more restrictions you have, the more interesting stuff you can do within those restrictions. Well, that's, I mean, architectural design, That I, I very much dislike getting a design project where they say, you know go for it like well go for what it's yeah. like i need i need a, a monetary budget some some i need some confines i need i need some sense of where to go or where not to go because otherwise it's it's you know you could get a firehouse when what you really needed was a museum or a coffee shop or i, I have no idea but it's um well it makes it more interesting even things that you're not allowed to do so for example that four minutes without a laugh doesn't work unless the rest of the show around it oh that's true is consistently yeah. you know a laugh every however many beats yeah. like you don't get to play with that time unless you've already set up the Structure the rhythm, yeah, and the rhythm. Because then it's something different. Yes. Yeah. And so there was a there was a time where I was doing a gig for a, a Jewish community group, and they came to me and they said, "You can talk about whatever you want." And I said, "What what is it?" And they they basically they took a very roundabout and d- diplomatic way of saying they didn't want me to tell any jokes about Israel. Oh, all right. Now I don't have any jokes about Israel. I have never wished more. But, but that now, I had jokes yeah, about I was Israel. Say, now, now that you did. Now that the limitation was there, it's how many jokes about Israel can you tell without making it necessarily a joke about Israel? Yeah. So then there was. So then that 
set that I performed, I had no jokes about Israel, but there were certainly some jokes about um, examining your assumptions and your prejudices and the way you treat people and <laughs> history and family and place and which, space which and location and ownership. De- definitely touches on Israel. <laughs> yeah, which is never explicitly about Israel, yeah. but it is deliberately playing with that discomfort because... Yeah. Anyway, so I think that... That is an interesting thing. I think that, like, the well, walls that you put around yourself or the walls that other people put around you can make you... I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to say that as a definitive thing because, obviously, freedom is incredibly important. Yeah, but it's... But defi- creatively creat- speaking... You definitely have... When a limitation is set, you can either obey that limitation or you can get very creative. To work around it. Yes, and a very literal interpretation of that was watching my toddlers try and deal with the concept of there are signs everywhere that say do not walk on the grass please some of them say please but most of them just say no walking on the grass walking on the grass because this is a place where you cannot walk on the grass unless you're a don yes then you're allowed to walk on the grass yes um and so toddlers don't understand the concept of not walking on the grass grass means run so they've now got this idea they have to stay on the path but they keep testing that they won't touch the grass but the sign doesn't say don't put a pebble on the grass the sign doesn't stay you know don't touch the flower that's on the grass or don't you know poke it with a stick or don't walk right next to it as my three-year-old was saying is um i'm not touching it i'm my foot is next to it i'm right next to it. i'm not touching it and she'd walk right on the edge along the boundary wall yeah and like, that is exactly what <laughs> i mean all art but particularly comedy is often about testing which is why it ages badly because boundaries change oh this is true yeah and particularly at this time of history where we have this you know constantly shifting but very um very loaded political boundaries at the moment things that you're allowed to say can change between literally half a second a month and the next yeah and they're less a signal of of they're less a um a judgment on your uh, intentions, which could be good, they're more a judgment on how up-to-date you are, how in-group you are, mm. how au fait you are with the most recent developments and the most recent language shifts. And So how often do you find yourself having to actually change one of your shows? Have you ever had to do a significant change to one of your shows where you're like, oh, darn, well, that's got to go? Um, I had one joke in Empire that was very risky and I deliberately did it because I, I wanted to play with um, assumptions and um, prejudgment and jumping quickly to conclusions, which I think is something that's happening more and more now. So many people, like I've never been, I don't know, I've never had a time in my life where so many people have told me that they're not going to buy this person's work or they're not going to read this person's Mm. work anymore who've never read that person's work, who are second or third hand jumping on a... Bandwagon. Bandwagon. Like my immediate... um, urge when somebody tells me that someone Not has said something, something horrendous is to, is to find go. out yeah, exactly. and, 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 and see if I can contextualise it and just understand what it is and whether it actually happened no. to verify I, I, like I have that impulse but anyway this joke so I had a, a, my way of dealing with it so I had a very long on ramp I had a number of sort of contextual analogies to jumping to conclusions and no. then I did this joke that I'm speaking very obscurely here but uh if you're a listener who's seen Empire, let me know if you can guess what joke it was. <laughs> but it looks like I'm heading in a particular direction that is contentious. Okay. And at the very last second, I make it about... Something different. 
something I, I make that thing an example of a general point about feminism okay. basically about my my sense that nobody should tell women what to wear and one reviewer for a very high profile publication did not like it Ooh. at all didn't like the inference that you were about to make or didn't Just like that didn't you avoided go it with me on the oh. on ramp to that okay. joke so heard the joke and also a one heckler just heard the joke as though it were out of context. Ah. So it was as though when I said that one line right. it that was I've just been leading up to, yeah. it erased everything I'd said before it and That's everything I said after it. And it was a you really sure she wasn't in the loo at the time? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's potential that she just sort of t- tuned out uh, for that period of time and that's the thing that's the risk I guess now particularly nowadays is you can be taken out of context yeah and my particularly if there are people who don't want to um, do the homework to find out what the background is between different things so you could have people in your audience who don't have enough background to understand the non-contentious nature of your joke yes yeah. and that's the other thing of, of maybe they're not willing to maybe they're looking for a problem there is so that is, as well is that your job then do you feel for if you are going to do something contentious or even not contentious but something that deals with a a current issue do you feel like you have a greater responsibility to inform as you set up yes it is absolutely my job to make it easy for them as easy as possible if I'm going to make something difficult for them I need to make it as easy as possible for them to come to that difficulty and so that's got to do with like how charming I am, how likable I am. Whether Very you, charming. But you, know, you know what I mean, whether, whether, whether they think I'm a um, good person, yeah. well-meaning, uh, whether, whether they trust me enough to go with me on that. And yeah. in those two instances, and I'm sure other people who saw that show but didn't say anything, I failed to do mm. that. And then it's impossible to know how much that failure is on me and my relationship with that member of the audience or how much of it is to do with them not listening or not wanting to listen no. or, you know, just wanting to score some points. Or no. you Have you ever thought about doing any of your shows um, not as you delivering it but as a, a character delivering it? I mean, I started in sketch comedy, right. so I do like playing characters and I played a bunch of characters in Andy Zaltzman's solo show at the beginning of the year which was a lot of fun um, I can't do it with comedy uh, with stand up okay because is it because comedy is just too personal or at least the version of comedy that you do yeah is personal that so I've, you'd have yeah. to invent a whole new person yes it would yes I'd have to have a costume and a, a change of face and a, a whole it would have to sort of start from the beginning again yeah. I think I think so much about stand-up for me is that it is like it's simultaneously freer and less free than many other forms of theatre or performance mm. because the limitation is in the freedom. It's just you and the microphone. And these things are heavy, so I'm not sure if anyone's aware of this. So Ali has a, a sitting here holding microphones, and I don't know how you do this on stage. Do you do, like is most of your performance actually holding a mic still? Or is yes, t- okay. I don't know how you do. It. I'm getting a cramp in my wrist. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I will get lapel mics. Um, in fact, I, I need to do that or stands or something. No, 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 the stands. Then I'll just like break out into song. But I, yeah, but I think the thing about it is. Um, yeah, I'll I'll put a, a mic in and out of a stand for yeah. a f- effect. Yeah. Um, 
like usually if I'm if I'm doing someone else's voice or creating a scenario, I yeah. might put the microphone down. But also it's nice to have it um, in your hand because then you get to modulate the dynamics of your voice. Ah, fair enough. So you can speak they quietly make, close to the mic. Do they make lightweight louder. ones? No, they don't make lightweight oh, mics. Geez. I mean, some mics are lighter than others, but uh, yeah, you don't get to here. choose. I'm not at the stage of my career where I get to bring my own mics. Okay. You deal with whatever's <laughs> in the venue at the time. Um, I'm yeah, sorry if there are really comedians walking wrist. around with like, a, what is it, a tennis wrist or something <laughs> i have the jacked wrists of a teenage boy oh, very nice. i have very strong <laughs> wrists it's like very small deadlift um no actually it's it's less the um microphone than it is if i'm carrying my banjo around uh, particularly during a festival because you're running between venues carrying you know 16 kilos of instrument on your shoulder sometimes 16 kilos of banjo on one shoulder and and a, a tiny piano under the other arm. So, like Edinburgh, my first year, where I was in, an, in a free venue, which meant I couldn't leave my stuff at the venue overnight. Right. I got just super buff. Like, it was it was probably the, the most muscular I've ever been. Oh, jeez. And I used to row, so... Well, I definitely, lifting two toddlers all the time, I am probably the fittest I've ever been in my entire life. Um, it's insane. So not to be too um, graphic for the audience here. So you nursing, you can pretty much eat whatever you want because the baby is just going to suck it out of you. It's great. Just eat as much ice cream as you want. It's beautiful. Um, but then, you know, you're also, the child keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but it's by tiny little bits every single day. So you never notice the weight change until you go and pick up a much smaller child or an air conditioner or something. And you're, you're suddenly lifting things that you never ever would have dreamed of lifting before and thinking they're nothing. Um, it's amazing. So yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm getting a daily full body workout and I've thought about after I'm done doing the, the tiny kid phase, I think I need to get a sack of flour and like put it in a onesie and just carry it around in a papoose <laughs> just to keep fit. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. That's what they do to army officers is they make them take a loaded backpack on a 10K run. Yeah, yeah. It's so, uh, you know, or maybe I'll get a dog. I don't know, something. I don't think you carry dogs unless you're... Oh, those tiny little chihuahua things. Yeah, but you'd I want a big one. I sorry for them. Oh, wait, do you want a big one? Okay. Like maybe a pig, because oh. they grow quite fast. There we go. Maybe they're, qu they're quite cute. pig. They are quite... Well, when they're tiny, they're cute, and they get big and not quite so cute anymore. But, but they're friendly and smart. They are. This is true. I hear sheep are actually really, really smart. Yeah, I wouldn't mind a pet squid. Uh, <laughs> they're very smart. It's true, but now then you need, like, a tank. You That's need, true. You need a giant tank. Um, I don't know. If I had a... Oh, if I, I want to... When I was younger, I always wanted a pet skunk because I had seen one once. To Where? weaponize it against your no, enemies? No, 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 no. You would, you would like de-smell them and stuff. And that's that's when I learned a little bit more. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't sound very nice. So we're, we're not going to do that to the animal. Um, but somewhere, where was I? I was at one of those like animal rescue shelter things where they take in animals that need help um, and weren't necessarily treated nicely and they had a skunk there that had been somebody's pet. It was an albino it was a white albino skunk. It was beautiful it was so sweet and so fluffy it was, it was wonderful and so I, I left and immediately went home and told my parents I want a skunk as a pet and my dad's like fine go out and catch one. They're out in the front yard all the time <laughs> don't bring it into the house <laughs> yeah I, I, don't, I don't know how I, I guess I travel too much to come across a pet yeah, no, we just, we adopt all the neighborhood dogs and say hi. Um, we were last week staying with my cousin in Germany and they have a dog. So this was the first time the girls had experienced having a live-in animal of any kind. Mm. And uh, I think 
they both determined by the end of the visit they were they were enamored with the idea of the dog when we first showed up and then as the week went on by the end of it, the three-year-old was just telling the dog that he was being annoying and to go away <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. They probably yeah. won't pester you for a dog no, for another couple no, of years. Then. No, no, no. She didn't. She did. Well, the dog really just wanted to sit with them and then wanted to sit on them. And she didn't like the dog kept sitting on her coloring book where she was trying to color because then she couldn't color. So uh-huh. the dog didn't understand that that was just not on. <laughs> My friend Laura has a very good joke. Uh, Laura Davis, who has come on the podcast often, a uh, very good joke about pets where she's like, I don't mind animals. It's just I resent being forced to sit outside if we go to a cafe because you've brought your friendship slave. Oh. <laughs> Which is just, I think, lovely. Um, if you're in Perth, by the way, Laura is doing a run of her amazing show, Ghost Machine. Uh, which is a stand-up solo show, uh, but she's dressed as a ghost for most of it. Oh, there we go. There's a character. And it's about ex- it's sort of an existential crisis uh, with is, her under talking, a sheet. Like like she's ghost completely under, under a sheet, sheet with like uh, eye holes. The whole deal. She's got lights. She's got a backpack with a headlamp that she sort of shines on the audience. It's a whole thing. It's very very funny. It sounds super art wanky, <laughs> but it's actually a very funny show. She won awards for it, so it's okay. it's cool. well worth going to see if you are in. <laughs> Perth or I think Edinburgh this year she's doing Ghost Machine and various other places but very cool. just a side plug for Laura. Oh, I go back to Edinburgh in a heartbeat. We were there. We missed the fringe by, I kid you not, two days. It was so sad. I mean on one hand that's very sad. On the other hand accommodation wouldn't have been Oh no, it, would, it wouldn't insane. have. Insane. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked. But actually no, where were we? Edinburgh. Oh no, you know what? It would have been fine because we were staying with my friend who lives there permanently. So that was fine. We would you need to give me your friend's address. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Edinburgh accommodation is something that people just like. It's it's very undignified. There are a lot of. Oh. I mean, it's just it's a place where accommodation. Okay. Traveling with toddlers is undignified. It's true. Yes, it's true. So. I mean. Festival stuff is amazing because you get this traveling circus of people. Like I'll be, there are friends who I will see in Adelaide who I will then spend the next three months with in different parts of the world. That's really neat. Which is great. It's like the old school caravan. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but then you're going between cities where accommodation will have gone from whatever twenty six pounds a night to four hundred pounds a night. Jeez. <sighs> Just because supply and demand is what it is. <sighs> well. Supply and demand, our time is up All because right. I have to go wake up some toddlers. Nap time has finished. Nap time is finished. Well, Nap thank you so finished. much for having tea with me. Oh, yeah. Um, where can people find you online or should they just send me emails? They'll if just they want send, to send you an email. Send That's me the emails, alicerfraser at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments for Gil. Um, I love questions. She does love questions. She's I can a only, teacher. I can only answer them during nap time, though. She, she's a thwarted <laughs> teacher in that she's teaching very young children. So if you want to have an adult conversation or ask an adult question, <laughs> not a rude one, but a, a grown-up one, uh, email me and I'll pass it on to Gil. Thank you.
Oh, do you know, oh, do you not? This top is mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your ends. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie your ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifle, doll, lolly rifle.